0: Morning, everybody. Happy July. Open your Bibles or, in some cases, turn on your Bibles to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and you have message notes with you as well, Bible study notes. Today is for those who uh, don't see the finish line. Today's for those who feel like you're on a treadmill that's going a little too fast and it can't be sustained. Today's for those who can't sustain your pace here financially relationally, emotionally, Uh, you're working long hours, and you're barely making ends meet, or you're a parent, and you don't know how in the world you're going to have the reserves for your kids who need you at the end of the day, and really throughout the day, or the wisdom or the love that your kids need. Today's for the student who wonders how in the world am I going to keep this grade thing up and how am I ever going to get to the college of my choice and then how am I going to pay for that or my parents pay for that and what am I going to do with the debt load of college tuition and all those student loans. It just seems overwhelming to you. Even though we're living in the wealthiest region of the United States arguably with amazing technology, bio and regular technology, all those things don't help you and today's for you. Today's for me. Our context is studying this person named Elijah, and we could really do a whole series on this man. It's amazing, his story. He comes on the scene in Acts, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17, and I want to just bring you into the backstory of what we're going to study in 1 Kings 19. Uh, Elijah was a man just like us. That's what it says in the book of James. That's actually where we got the series titled, This Is Us. And in his life, in 1 Kings chapter 17, he saw amazing things take place. Elijah prayed and saw weather patterns change he asked God no rain and for three years no rain and then but you need to know this first let's step back a little bit he served under a king who was wicked named Ahab Uh, the Bible says Ahab was the 19th king of Israel and all of the 18 previous were wicked but Ahab was more wicked than the 18 previous kings this is the context of Elijah And so God uses him as a prophet to woo a country back to him. God changes the weather patterns through him. Uh, God then uh, sends him into exile. And Elijah's running for his life from this king in a famine. And God feeds him from birds in heaven. Uh, in the heavens. Birds come down and give him meat. Praise God, can anyone give me a praise God? Thank God for meat from heaven, right? And then uh, guy, Elijah goes up to this widow's house and she has a son and there's just a little bit of food. It's almost their last meal and Elijah prays and that little bit of food sustains both of them. And then the son dies and Elijah is the first person recorded in the Bible to raise someone from the dead. He takes the boy into the upper room, prays over him, and his life is restored. How many of you have seen someone risen from the dead? Yeah, right? And it, not a lot of us, right? It doesn't happen all the time. But Elijah saw that, and then it becomes a Super Bowl. Elijah takes on 850 prophets of false gods, Baal and Asherah, on Mount Carmel, and fire comes down, and God wins. It's his Super Bowl. But it doesn't end there. Then Elijah goes right into the king's palace, prays for rain, and after three years, prays seven times, rain comes for the first time in three years. All that is the backstory to 1 Kings chapter 19. He's just come off the Super Bowl, and that's where we're going to pick it up, okay? Uh, Here we go. After he saw God work in amazing ways, you turn to chapter 19, you know what happens? Elijah goes from Mount Whitney to Death Valley, with one turn of the chapter. He goes from the highest height to the lowest point of his life. What happened? How did he get there? More importantly, what we're going to focus on, how did he get out? Let's head into the wilderness and journey with Elijah and watch him move from despondency to restoration. Your Bible's open? Okay, first, come on. Bibles open? Okay. First Kings 19. Here we go. we we'll are start in verse 1. Let's let's look on page 1, his journey to burnout. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, let's just stop there. Who is this figure? I didn't tell you about her. That's Ahab's wife. She has a mission statement if you're taking notes in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 14. Or, you'll see her mission statement, she exists to kill every single one of the Lord's prophets. And Ahab is done with ruling the kingdom, so he abdicates the throne to his wife. And so she goes, great, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going after Elijah. That's what's going on here. She sent a messenger to Elijah that said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, at which point you got to go, what? Wait, wait, wait. You just stood up to 850 false prophets. And now one person threatens your life and you're afraid? We see burnout. It's not logical. He's shutting down. He's holistic. And his body, his mind is shutting down and it's affecting his thinking and his spirit. So he ran for his life. Can I encourage you to circle that in your Bible? Ran for his life. I'll tell you why in a minute. And then after the word life in your Bible, write the number 100. Because what takes place next is 100 miles later. That's how far he ran. He ran for his life. 100 miles later, down south, when he came to Beersheba in Judah. I just give you that factor. This is a long journey in the desert. He's tired He left his servant there, very important to our story. While he himself continued a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Three words, take my life, circle that. In my Bible, in verse four, take my life, I have it circled, ran for his life, I have it circled in verse three, I have a line between the two. Think with me. This is amazing. He runs for his life in verse three, only to ask God to take his life in verse four. Why run from death and then ask for death? This is despondency. This is despair. This is complete burnout. Elijah isn't thinking well. By the way, Elijah's not the only biblical character to ask that his life get taken. Uh, If you're taking notes, Moses asked for that in Numbers chapter 11, verse 13 to 15. Jonah asked for that in Jonah chapter four, verse five. In two weeks, we'll study the life of Job. Job asked that God would take his life in Job 311. Jeremiah, one of the major prophets, asked that God take his life in Jeremiah 20 verse 17. Anyone ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Yeah, God, he asked God to take his life. He said, I despaired even to the point of death in 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Listen, I just want to just step out of this message and talk about this for about two minutes. Um, what's unique to each one of these characters is this, they, they reach the point of despondency where they ask God to take their life But none of them viewed their life as their own to take. Life was God's. And so none of them took their own life. They asked God, take my life. Do you see the difference there? Um, Suicide is really a long-term solution, and I mean this very gently, to some short-term problems. I know they seem overwhelming, but I've been in many memorials of suicides packed with people and we've left that memorial. And the common thread that goes through them is this. If they only knew how much we love them. If they only knew. If they only knew. If they only knew. It's never a good solution. It's never rational either. If you're feeling any of those feelings, please, we have a, we have a Stevens ministry. There's hotlines for this. I promise you, you can get through this. And that's not a good solution, I promise you. So that's where Elijah is, though. That's where these characters are. He says in verse 4, I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. What happened? How could he be at the heights of chapter 18? And now we're at the depths five verses later. I've got on page one, four steps to burn out. If you want to burn your life out, Here you go, I'm just gonna pasture you along that road. Here we go, here's the first. What happened, he wore himself out. He wore himself out, my goodness. You read chapter 17 and 18, you'll be worn out reading those verses. Elijah's life for two chapters over multiple years was living in the fast lane, engaged in massive spiritual battles, trusting God, exerting himself, praying, trusting God, faith, battle, faith, battle, faith, battle. Then he runs. He does the first century ever, does a 100-mile run, and then he goes further in the desert. He forgot that he was human. That great, great theologian Vince Lombardi said this, Fatigue makes cowards of us all. A better theologian is C.S. Lewis. And he said this, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. We are spiritual. We are emotional. We are relational. We are physical. And until we come to grips with a holistic aspect of walking with the Lord in every one of those areas... We will wear ourselves out. He wore himself out. Then he shut people out. You see in verse 3b, see the verse I have there? He cut off his servant. That was his ministry staff. He was closing up shop for the profit department and was going at it alone. Oh my goodness. His support system, his servant, his perspective system. Uh, You weren't and I were never created to do life alone. We are created to live in community, to be known Uh, To know, you know in the Gospels, when Jesus called his disciples, I'm talking about his 12, in every story of the Gospel, with the exception of two, all those 12 disciples are in community, every single time. They're never alone. The two times the disciples are alone were egregious sin against our Savior. Judas was alone when he betrayed Christ. Peter was alone when he denied Christ. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. What we're going to see here is um, Elijah isolated himself, and it didn't happen. I just want to ask this question who knows your life? Warts and all. Who knows the state of your relationships that matter most? Who have you allowed access to the inner thinking of your mind? Who knows the way you treat your kids, your grandkids? Who knows your perspective? Another great, well, he wasn't a great theologian. He was a great philosopher, Aristotle. He said this, the unexamined life, it's not worth living. Unless you let someone in, you're never going to be the person God wants you to be. The call to Christ is a call to community, to be known with each other. Then he focused on the negative. Look at verse four. I'm no better than my ancestors. Let me ask you a question. Everyone, please. Please. Who said he had to be? Who put that in his mind? That wasn't his call. That wasn't from God. That was from Elijah. He had this phantom image of who he was supposed to be by way of super prophet. And he didn't live up to the phantom. None of us do. You have your phantoms. You have that fa- I do. I have the phantom of the super husband. I have the phantom of the super pastor. I have the phantom of the super neighbor. I get on a plane. I have the phantom of the super Christian on the plane before takeoff. Everybody's heard the gospel. They've all come to Christ before takeoff. And we're set. Slay your phantom. Elijah wasn't supposed to live into this. Uh, and we, have, we say these lines like this, focused on the negative. I'll never be any good. I'm always going to be stuck here. My life's never going to get better. I'm never going to get into college after that grade. My kids will never come to Christ. My marriage will never turn into what it should be. Exaggeration, exaggeration. We make subtle agreements in our mind. And I'm telling you, they have a spiritual stronghold in our life that's worse in wreaking havoc than we ever, ever, ever dreamed of. That's what's going on in him. And then he put God in a box. Elijah thought he had God figured out. He had a plan for God. I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this. Everything's going to go great. I'm convinced Elijah thought there would be a countrywide revival. And when it didn't reach the royal palace, and there was no coup d'etat from the people, there was no picketing at the royal palace, down with Baal, down with Ahab, down with Jezebel, worship God. When that didn't happen, God, Isaiah, uh, Elijah turned to God and said, I'm done. You're not following my plan. How many of you want to follow a God you can figure out? Let me ask this way: how many of you want to follow a God who got the SAT score you did? (laughs) I don't either, and it frustrates me sometimes because God is so far beyond that. But that's the mystery of God, and that's how God woos us and says, hang in there, hang in there. James is right, right? Elijah was a human being. Just like we are. And I love how the scripture contains 1 Kings 19. It's not just the highlight reel, it's the low right light reel as well. Amen? Okay, so now, more importantly, how do you get out of there? By the way, do you see any of this in your life? Is God speaking to any of you? Okay. How do you get there? Let's look. First thing. Uh, how do you get out of there? First thing, God's prescription for burnout. Here's the first thing. This will blow some of your mind. And by the way, this is why I believe the Bible contains the best worldview for humanity today. Uh, there are other faith traditions, even within Christianity, that that are hyper, I'll call them hyper spiritual. They don't take fact and factor in that you're human, that you're flesh and blood, you're 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 mental and and intellectual, you're relational, you're emotional. And so their remedy for your burnout is you gotta pray more. You gotta read your Bible more. There's sin in your life. What'd you do wrong? Okay? Uh, And some of that may be true, but they're they're completely, completely discounting the fact that you're human, flesh and blood. Now, the other end is the complete secular, there is no God, psychological aspect, medical aspect. Oh, something's wrong with you? You need a prescription. You need this. You need that. They don't take into mind and account the spiritual. And by the way, I'm all for medical prescriptions. And I'm all for counselors. And I'm all for psychologists. I've access. never been on meds, but I've access all of that, all the rest with myself. We need that. But there needs to be both intention. We'll get more to this with Job when we talk about him being comforted. But you're going to see that here. The first thing God does, replenishes him. Look at this, verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, shame on you, Elijah. Is that what it says? No. Oh, I'm sorry. It, here's what it's in the Hebrew. Repent. No. No. The angel's not saying, if only you had more faith. Elijah, if only you prayed more. If only you read your Bible. You'd see none of that. What did he do? Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then collapsed and lay down again. This is fatigue. The angel of the Lord, we talked about that three weeks ago, this is Jesus Remember three weeks ago with Moses, if you were here, there's something called a Christophany, a theophany. When God appears on planet Earth before Christ came as a baby, this is one of them. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, get up and eat. And I'm going to just say these next seven words, if I can get your best attention, is a secret to life. 100% of the time that marriages have fizzled out, that uh, people have burnt out, that people have done dumb things in sin, it's because they didn't believe this next seven words. What's the secret to life? Are you ready? Do I have your best attention? The journey's too much for you. That career's too much for you. Being a follower of Christ in the 21st century on the peninsula, it's way too much for you. Being married to him or her, it's too much for you. Being a parent to them, that's too much for you. But it's not too much for God. And God's called us to be in dependence on him. Getting into the college of your choice, that's way too much for you. And until you come to the end of yourself, like Jesus said in his greatest sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and realize that, life will never make sense. You're going to continue to chase, 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 and leave behind you a trail of broken dreams and broken people and scars. It's too much for you. I met someone on the patio after this morning because of that seven words. She gave her life to Christ today. New creation. She's like, You're so right. You're so right. If you've never done that, it's not putting you down by saying it's too much for you. It's actually the most honest, honorable thing I can tell you. You You're created to live in dependence on God in every area of your life. Here's a prophet, the greatest prophet uh, uh, to this point. No one has ever risen someone from the dead. He saw things no one had ever seen. But he forgot that the journey is too much for him alone. He needed God. The heavenly holistic strategy here, physical touch, food, rest. That's how God strengthened him. And then truth of God's word. I just came off a vacation where that was my holistic strategy. Uh, We just went to Donner Lake and just hung out as a family. A Lot of physical touch with my girls. A lot of food, Dairy Queen every night. A lot of rest, up early in the morning, just me in the trees watching the sunrise, Bible open, journal open, nowhere to go. It's like heaven couldn't speak fast enough for me to write down. It was unbelievable, the truth of God's word. And day by day, I just saw the stress just fall off me as God restored me in six short days. The first thing God did was replenish him. So he got up, verse eight, He ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Does that name sound familiar? Let me give you the other name for this mountain. I'm sure it would be familiar. Sinai, Mount Sinai. He's going to the very mountain where Moses met God. He's running to try to meet God. Then God replaces Elijah's lies with his truth. Second thing he does. Replenishment, then lies with truth, okay? Look at verse nine. Then he went into the cave and spent the night. By the way, if I can just say, you aren't created for caves. We sang about that amazingly, where darkness reigns and lies are bred. and exaggeration uh, just goes. You were not created for a cave to be isolated and cowering. We were created for community and to live in the light. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And now we're gonna see lies come out, okay? So let's play the true false game in these next few verses. You ready? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. By the way, that's the third week we see that phrase come out. It's so fun for me, even before. I mean, this series was put together months ago, but to see what God is speaking to our community specifically. Third week, Lord God Almighty, God of warring angels. Okay, that's true. He has been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Okay, that's true. By the way, implied in that though is this, and maybe you've been there. This is us. God, I did everything right, and you didn't come through the way I thought you should. I'll just give you the end of the story. God didn't let Elijah down. Elijah let Elijah down. Okay, we'll see that by the end. Don't leave, okay, even though I told you the end. Okay, second thing the Israelites have rejected your covenant. Not fully true. From his perspective, he thinks everyone's walked away. This is what happens in caves, we exaggerate in high depth. I'm the only one. No one's doing this. Everyone's doing that, right? I feel that way living here. I feel like on the, in, in the peninsula as a follower of Christ. No one wants to follow you. This isn't good news to anybody. False, false, false. They put your prophets to death with the sword, false. Only Jezebel was trying to do that, not all of Israel. I'm the only one left, false. We'll see in a minute. It's false. And now they're trying to kill me too. False. Only Jezebel is trying to kill him. Not all of Israel. Do you see what happens in caves? Do you see how it's bred? Um, They'll never change. Maybe these are some of your cave dialogues. These are mine. They'll never come back to the Lord. Uh, Maybe you feel like I'm stuck in this defeated Christian life. My marriage will never change, or I'll never get married. I can't make a difference on this campus, in my neighborhood, in this city, at this company. Um, Lies, lies, lies are bred in the darkness and in caves. The Lord said, look what he says, Go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah, to this point, had been the uh, servant of the God of the spectacular. But God said, I'm not only the God who sends fire from heaven and earthquakes and, and rocks shattering. I'm also the God of the gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, verse 13, And he went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. What's amazing here, God doesn't correct him at every step. God didn't do what I did. Lie, lie, lie. I'm the only one left. Lie. He doesn't do that. Somehow God knew Elijah needed to be heard, to be able in prayer, and this is another theme that's come out this summer, to be completely unfiltered before the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? God knew where Elijah was. You ready? Elijah didn't know where Elijah was. And God had to get through the lies to bring him to a place of truth. And if you don't have truth, you don't have any basis for a relationship no relationship can thrive with truth, none. Your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with people that matter. if you're hiding things, if you're living in falsehood, you can't have a thriving relationship. Isaiah, Elijah had this falsehood going, and God had to get it all out before you get to the truth. okay? So what does he do? He gives him replenishment, he replaces Elijah's lies with truth. And then he gives Elijah a go. You know, I was reading this morning, again, in Matthew, the end of a biographer of Jesus, chapter 28, Jesus commissioned to his followers. If you're a follower of Christ, did you know that you have a go? That God has a plan for your life? That God doesn't just want you to love him and go to heaven without influencing anyone else for him? Every single person who follows Christ has a go. And it never, never retires. It never expires. As long as you have breath as a follower of Christ, you have a go. And Elijah forgot that. God gives Elijah, recommissions him with his divine assignment. Something from heaven's to-do list for the earth, uniquely designed for Elijah. God has that for you too. And that's the adventure of walking with the Lord. You have a go to follow God his way and do his things. Look what he says. The Lord said to him, verse 15, what does it say? What's the first word? The Lord said to him, what? Go. Go back. And then he lets him in on the strategy. I've got people. You think you're the only one left? I've got a, hundreds of prophets, uh, people that haven't bowed to the prophet Baal. Go with them. And you need, you, you fired your staff. Here's a new staff person, Elisha. We'll meet him next week. And do this and do that. I'll point another king. And he says, I'm in control here, Elijah. I'm letting you in on the family business. Go. With all your brokenness, with all your cave dwelling, you haven't been disqualified from my go. Sunday night uh, last week, we were having a barbecue at Donner Lake. And on the east end of the lake, it was a public barbecue, and, and there's, they have like six grills and 12 tables. You have to share the grills. And so I have my charcoal there, and I'm, I'm like a rookie. I have gas, right? I just turn it on, and, but this is charcoal. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, And so someone's helping me, and we're grilling, and I strike up a conversation with him and uh, find out he's from Austin, John from Austin and I go wow that's interesting why would you come to Donner Lake from Austin and he says well actually my daughter had surgery at Stanford and unbeknownst to John I end up knowing his doctor who is a doctor with a go his doctor sees himself as a surgeon yes but more than that he sees himself as a disciple disguised as a surgeon so I say really what did your you know Stanford I live near there what what surgery he said oh she had ear surgery I looked him in the eye and said, it wasn't Dr. Joe Roberson, was it? And you would have thought I just started levitating by the way that he looked at <laughs> me. He's like, what? How do you know him? And he went on to say his bedside manner, his confidence, he, he even prayed before the surgery for my daughter. I said, well, I was in a Bible study with Joe. He's a great follower of Christ. And see, what God was doing was bringing this man from Austin and his wife to Stanford, they thought for a surgery, but really to draw them to Christ. And to just unratchet some stereotypes they had about what it meant to follow Christ. Uh, he calls his wife over, I call my wife over, we have this conversation, by the end of the night, I kid you not, his wife is sitting down eating uh, a s'more that we provided, s'mores, food, remember, you e- eat, um, And she's saying to my wife, I feel so far from Jesus. I I feel like Jesus is calling me back to him. How did that happen? That happened because a doctor in Palo Alto has never lost sight of his go. Joe didn't know that. We took a selfie. I sent it to Joe. I'm like, you'll never believe this story, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. We don't need to know the end of the story. It's enough just to be a tool in the master's hand. So he says, trust me, Elijah, you have a go. I gotta wrap this up. Look at, look at verse 19, and here's how we're gonna close. Look at verse 19. So Elijah went. And that's my hope for you, that you go, trusting that God's gone before you, trusting that uh, God has your back. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm not here to tell you that all your life circumstances will always have a nice, neat bow, and it's all tied up. You know that's not life. I'm not here to tell you that things will work out and life will be pain free because then I'd contradict Jesus. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But I am here to tell you you're not here by accident and that God works out all things for the good. And God has a plan for your life. I am here to tell you that this isn't the kind of church where hundreds of people gather to watch a few people operate in their spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Christ, I told you you have a go, you also have spiritual gifts. We want to be the kind of church where hundreds of people gather and the Christians all function in their spiritual gifts. And so I'm going to invite people, if you feel like you're in a cave, and it doesn't have to be I'm on despair, or I'm feeling like I'm committing suicide or I'm going to. I'm not saying that. If you feel that, certainly you could stand in a minute. You just feel like you're in a cave that life hasn't worked out right now circumstances haven't worked out and as i've been speaking that gentle whisper of god has spoken to you and you want prayer i'm going to invite you like i've done in every gathering this morning to stand up in a minute and to put all your pride down and to say to the church the grace filled shame removed truth valuing church i need prayer and then I'm gonna invite the church to gather around to put a healthy hand on you, and we're gonna pray for you. If you feel like you've lost touch with your go? I'm gonna invite you to stand up, and we're gonna pray for you to recapture your go. Okay, so Tabitha, come on forward, and we're gonna play some music, and I'm gonna ask us to be the church. If you feel like, hey, you know what? I need to stand up. I'm in a cave, and I need prayer. The journey's too much for me. Stand up right now. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. These are our sisters and brothers, humbly coming before us. Anyone else? I feel like I'm in a cave. I need to stand. I don't wanna be in here alone. You're here and when I talked about the go, you're like, gosh, I once had a dream. For God, I once had a go. I once believed that God could use my one and only life to make a difference for all eternity. But I've lost that now. If you want to recapture your go, can I invite you to stand up? Stand up. I want to recapture my go. Okay, church. Here's a word of the church. No one stands alone at PCC. No one is alone at PCC. Come around our sisters and brothers, lay a healthy hand on them, and let's pray over them. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you. Pray encouragement. Pray that God meets them where they are. Pray that God touches them where they are. This is where, as a church, we do the ministry of the church in our gifts. This is beautiful. Go ahead. No one stands alone. Pray out, church, over these people, please. church podcast we're located at 3560 farm hill boulevard in redwood city california you can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com